0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the crossover Cross time podcast for our Friday episode for week 11. Uh, today's date, January 4th of 2024 with this episode, we're finally going to be back on our normal podcast schedule. Um, of course, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is our normal rotation. So this next week we'll be back for Monday, Wednesday, and Friday back to the same old routine. And, uh, We'll have that for, I imagine, pretty much all of January up until the All-Star break. That's when I imagine we'll have our next uh, bit of a schedule interruptance. But uh, that being said, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show uh, and or welcome back to the show. Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, uh, we just want to express our appreciation uh, for your support of the show. Um, And just to get it out of the way real quick, if you are curious uh, about how else to support us in terms of, you know, social media or anything like that. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, just search crossover across time. You should be able to find us hopefully. Um, and uh, as far as where to listen to us, of course you are already listening, but we're on a good chunk of the the streaming platforms now. Um, as we mentioned on the previous episode, we've expanded that uh, quite a bit. So uh, yeah, that being said, we have uh, a lot to get through, a very wild, and I know we say that a lot, but even more so uh, the last few nights, um, crazy stuff, uh, crazy games, crazy scoring, um, but with that, let's go ahead and get things started and get into that action with our five on five drill <clears throat> for the last few days, uh, the game summaries and uh, the the big stats to note, as well as our key news. Okay. With this, we're going to start on Tuesday night, actually. Um, <clears throat> again, a little bit off because we had a Tuesday show, so we didn't do any of the Tuesday games yet. Um, so we'll start with one of those uh, before we get into the wild uh, last two nights, Wednesday and Thursday of action. Um, but Wednesday, big, or sorry, Tuesday. I'm already forgetting which day. Tuesday, Big game and a huge win for a team that's been impressing a lot of people this season, and especially over the last few weeks, the Oklahoma City Thunder at home winning against arguably the top team in the NBA up to this point, the Boston Celtics. Final score one twenty seven to one twenty three for the Thunder. Uh, and uh, you know, well, let's talk the game first, and then we'll get into the the Thunder in detail a little bit more uh, for a minute at the end of this, but. um Fairly close first half, and the Celtics actually had a, a small lead going into the halftime break. Uh, but then the Thunder had a great third quarter, built a double digit lead, and were able to hold on to it for the most part. I mean, the Celtics made a rally. Uh, they gave the Thunder a good contest, uh, especially in the closing minutes, but the Thunder were able to hold on to the game and uh, come out with the win in this one. And they uh, also overcame great games from not only uh, Jason Tatum, but also Chris Haps-Rozingas. Each of those guys with 30 points. Porzingis leading the two scorers, 34 points for Boston with 10 rebounds and three blocks, uh, two of three from three-point range as well. Tremendous game for him. Tatum, 30 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists, uh, fairly efficient. Porzingis was very efficient. I mean, 66% from the floor. Tatum, about 47%, but still very good for both of those guys. They also got 19 from Derek White and 15 from Jalen Brown. Uh, not a bad all-round game for Boston, but the, the Thunder, again, credit to them for being able to pull this kind of win out, and uh, credit to Shea Gilders-Alexander, 36 points for him, 7 assists and 6 rebounds, 3 of 5 from 3, 63% from the floor, um, 5 of 8 from the free throw line, not as great, but still a very good game all around Josh Giddy 23 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. They got 16 from Jalen Williams, uh, Santa Clara Jalen Williams, that is, 14.7 assists, Four blocks and three rebounds for Helmgren, the rookie, who also was three of five from three point range, and then ten points off the bench from Isaiah Joe. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about the Thunder a lot, especially lately. Um, the The talent pool they have to work with uh, is quite incredible. They still have, uh, a, a, I think, you know, next couple of years some interesting draft opportunities as well, draft picks. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they choose to exercise those picks or if they start to get in the mode of, Hey, you know, we're just about set with star players in a rotation or we're nearing that point. You know, what if we trade this pick to a team that wants it in exchange for guys that solidify a bench or fill a role in a starting lineup, you know, um, that could be very interesting to see, but for now, they're just happy to reap the rewards of, of, uh, shrewd draft draft maneuvering in terms of trades to get picks and and also the the picks themselves being able to pick the right players uh seems like they've done a great job of that and the thunder in particular um how about the last stretch of games they've been on um i want to say it's the last nine games of which they've won eight and they've won five straight um if i have that all correct uh, where that was before uh the next game from Wednesday, uh at this point on Tuesday though they had won eight of their last nine, they had five straight wins at this point, and over those previous nine games they had beat the Denver Nuggets twice, they had beat the Clippers and snapped their nine game winning streak, they had a big win uh big margin of victory against the Minnesota Timberwolves, and then in this game they beat Boston and snapped their six game winning streak, so they continue to solidify their case. You know, they've been top five caliber. I think they've landed themselves there in our most recent power rankings, but now they're saying we want to be top three or top two or top one. They feel like they have a chance to be that type of a team. And, uh, they've been playing great ball and especially shake. Gilders Alexander solidifying a case for MVP. He got the MVP chance from the hometown crowd, but he has really, uh, I feel like with this recent stretch and a win like this, he had been a name in the conversation, but now you have to put him in at the very least a top five conversation, maybe even top three with how great they've been as a team. Uh, He deserves to be in that kind of conversation. So great win for the thunder and uh, SGA has been phenomenal. And that was Tuesday night with that. Let's jump to Wednesday night. And a wild night of action. We're going to talk about the night in general for a moment because there was scoring on display all over the league. 2,928 points scored across the league. That's the most for a night with 12 or fewer games in NBA history. It was the first time that five teams scored 140 or more points in a game um, on a single night. That happened on Wednesday night, and it was the first time 10 teams scored 130 or more uh, in a single night. That happened Wednesday night as well. Phenomenal scoring from across the league, all different types of teams, and one that I wasn't expecting but was pleasantly surprised with both the outcome and the journey for the most part, especially because I was surprised, a wonderful birthday surprise from my girlfriend, we went up to this game the jazz game utah at home against the detroit pistons in a game of teams of course we know detroit has struggled utah we've talked about they've been doing better lately but they're still a below 500 team at this point in the season going into it i remember she asked me about you know what my thoughts were what i kind of expected from the game and i i the one of the first things i said was i don't expect high-powered electric offense. Boy, was I wrong. Final score, Utah wins this in overtime. That helps. But 154 to 148 combined, these teams scored 130, or they scored 302 points, rather, which is second most in the NBA this season so far. I mean, sometimes, you know, I I say stuff and, hey, I actually was kind of right there. But it feels like, sometimes when i'm wrong i'm really wrong but in this case i was happy to be wrong of course because the jazz did pull out the victory um and uh yeah we got to be there we watched it um we were upper bowl but there were still great seats i mean the view was pretty good able to see what was going on uh could see you know numbers and such player names sometimes if you're way up in the the back you can barely tell what's going on but um great experience again i really loved being able to go with her it was a you know fantastic surprise i mean it's it's not a hard uh surprise to figure out like oh what would karsten enjoy doing i guess go to a jazz game so maybe i should have seen it coming with the fact that it was a surprise she plan planned for me but um It was still a really good time. And uh, with that, let's actually get into the game itself because I'll be able to give a little bit more of a firsthand account. Basically, um, Detroit came out to play and Utah seemed a little bit sluggish. You know, they had uh, Fontecchio had a a better start um, for the Jazz, but, um, you know, the Pistons were really looking to not you know, to not let wins start piling up again. They want to be, they know they're a team that has some talent on hand. And especially with Bogdanovich back after he'd missed some time earlier in the season, they're a team that thinks, you know, we, why us that had the longest losing streak, you know, they, they feel like they could start to get some wins together and they fight man. And they, they had a great fight in this game. Um, Utah was able to kind of lock in a little bit more in the second half and especially fourth quarter, um, I mean, they trailed most of the game. That was the thing, you know, the whole time we we're like, man, Detroit's pulling away, and or they've got a lead. Detroit led by about 10 points several times in the first half, um, but then Utah was able to take a lead early in the second half, um, and it was a back-and-forth game for much of that point. And then we get into the final, two, final minute or so, and, um, the margin is, it, it. the game's basically tied for the last minute or two. Um, in the final minute, um, Jordan Clarkson, if I remember correctly, hits a, yes, a tough three-point attempt, like a step back kind of three, drains it to give the Jazz a three-point lead. Going back the other way, I believe it was Bogdanovich, because he had been killing us all night, hit. A three to tie the game again, and it's you know poetic that Bogdanovich, who had been traded from the Jazz, now it's not his first time back in Utah since the trade, but it was, you know, especially with the the losing of the Pistons recently, it, it was a nice thing for him to be able to do that to have a chance of you know forcing a win for his team, but he ties it again. Then they was the jazz run a set play for, for Markinen to get a three, he drains an open three with just a few seconds left. And either Detroit didn't have a timeout or they chose not to call one. And so bringing the ball up is Alec Burks, who is a solid rotational guy for the Pistons. He's been, since he's left the jazz again, another former jazz guy, uh, he's, he's been productive. He he gives you good minutes, uh, not too many minutes per game, but he can make some shots and, and he fits well in a lineup. Um, But, not a star by any means, but he had been shooting well, also. And he comes up and drills a wild three to force overtime. And everyone in that arena was in disbelief. I mean, ev- everyone on the same beat, just like, oh my goodness, did this actually happen? But uh, we got overtime, and the Jazz, you know, were at their best in this game and overtime. Um, they Got the offensive looks they wanted. They were knocking shots down. They're able to get some stops strung together and they are able to escape with a win. And again, second highest scoring game in the NBA this season. Uh it was a franchise record for points uh at home by the Jazz, 154. So that was pretty incredible to be able to say I've I saw their highest scoring game at home in the Delta Center. And then uh they became one of nine teams in league history uh, to have 50 to shoot 50% from the floor 50% from 3 and 90% from the free throw line and win uh in an overtime game um unbelievable to shoot that well with an extended game especially um phenomenal scoring and for Detroit, yeah, Bogdanovich, 36 points for him, seven boards, five assists, eight of 15 from three. Um, Cade Cunningham was great all game, too, honestly. 31 points, 13 assists. He had six turnovers, but, I mean, he was he he, he was fairly poised, and especially he, he was – I mean, he's the guy running it. Ivy's kind of the off guard, which body-wise you might think it's the other way around traditionally, but – cunningham did a great job three of seven from three and then alec burks off the bench 27 points five of nine from three and it's just you didn't quite expect that going into it but you know i love alec burks um credit to him man great game they also got 17 points 10 boards and a block from Jalen duran Duren also got a wild piggyback ride of sorts from walker kessler basically got a dunk on Kessler and held the rim for a second to make sure he didn't fall dangerously. But as he lets go, Kessler is walking out from underneath the rim. He's kind of on his shoulders for a second before falling off, losing his balance. Um, And he'd been on there for, he was on his shoulders for like a couple of seconds. I, I don't know if I'd ever seen a player, you know, in that position for that long, you know, players get tangled up, but it was very interesting, but. Anyways, 11 points for Jaden Ivey, uh, 10 points for Isaiah Livers, who started. I was a bit surprised with that move. But um, again, credit to the Pistons for having such a, a great game in this one. But the Jazz able to white knuckle it out here, led by Jordan Clarkson's 36 points, coming off of the triple double game in the previous game, comes out with 36 in this one. Shot above 50% from the floor. He was four or five from three. And again, coming off the bench, uh, being able to bring in that scoring workload. Larry Markinen, 31.7 rebounds in this game. Four of eight from three. 55% from the floor. Markinen and Clarkson were the two leaders for the Jazz in this one. And then Colin Sexton had a nice game as well. 25 points, five assists, 50% from the floor. And he hit one of two threes, 10 of 10 from the free throw line. Clarkson, 10 of 11. Mark it in seven of eight. So those three guys, phenomenal. They got 17 points from John Collins, who struggled at moments, um, but still was uh, an effective player for them. 16 points from Simone Fontecchio, who had seven rebounds, four assists, and two steals. Three of four from three. And, um, you know, a ton of gr- exciting moments in this game. Uh, being there live, it was, it was, phenomenal. Every time I go to a Jazz game, I leave there thinking why don't I go to more? You know, they're my favorite team of course, but the atmosphere I can't compare it of course to any other team because I unfortunately haven't had the chance to see any other NBA teams in any other NBA arenas, but I do know that the Jazz atmosphere is is great. I can't compare it to anything else, but it's a great atmosphere. Love going to games there. And again, I was super excited and touched by that surprise. But I'll quit going on about my my personal life. But again, it was just wild to have that kind of a night. And it just seemed like whatever reason, January 3rd was that night for um, that type of game. And we had another one uh, a little bit later in the night or around that same time, a double overtime game but a little bit less scoring. The Sacramento Kings winning at home against Orlando Magic in double overtime 138 to 135, similar in the clutch shot factor. Monk hits a tough shot inside to to tie it uh to force overtime. In the overtime period, um the Kings I believe you know get the lead late. Um it's it's a two-point lead. Palo Caro bringing it up loses it out of bounds, you you think, and maybe it's you know the last chance it's over for the Magic, but then it was off of a Kings player, so the Magic get an inbound. They're able to inbound it to Caro in the paint, and he lays it in to tie the game. So they go to double overtime, and from there, the Kings are able to hold on. Caro's last-ditch three in double overtime isn't good, and... Kings hold on to win another thriller and a high scoring game. Again, 138 to 135 is still very high scoring. It's just compared to that jazz game, it's it doesn't seem as much, but it's still a lot. It's wild that these two happen on the same night. And that so many other high-scoring affairs happened. Um, yeah, 23 lead changes in this game. Um, very exciting stuff. Not as or actually way more lead changes in the jazz game. So, in some ways, it was even Tighter. But yeah, Ben Caro, a career high in this game. Forty-three points for the Magic. He was six of nine from three. Jalen Suggs, six of twelve from three for twenty-four points. Uh they got fifteen off the bench from Caleb Houston and uh eleven from Chuma Okeke. Um, three blocks for Gogo Patadze. He's done an admirable job filling in for Wendell Carter Jr. Um, props to him for doing that. Four steals off the bench for Caleb Houston as well, but then for the Kings. They were led by Damanis Sabonis, uh, not in scoring, but in all-round stats. 22 points, 23 rebounds, 12 assists, and two steals with a block as well. How about this for one of those semi cherry pick stats? Sabonis is the first player with 22 or more points, 23 or more rebounds, and 12 or more assists since Wilt Chamberlain in 1968. Um, You know, those specific numbers are a little interesting, but... Phenomenal company. I think it was also in the likes of Murray Stokes and some of those other guys, Elgin Baylor. Um, so, yeah, he's he's had some great games, especially lately. Uh, their leading scorer, though, was actually Malik Monk coming off the bench, 37 points, 9 assists, 2 steals a block. He was 7 of 13 from 3, 60% from the floor. Monk underrated in that 6-man-of-the-year type conversation. And then Keegan Murray, 28 points, 12 rebounds for the sophomore forward that I think can be very exciting for the King's future. Darren Fox struggled a bit, 15 points, seven assists, uh, six of 22 from the floor for about 28, 27% from the floor. So great for the Kings to get out a win with him struggling from the floor like that. five from three, uh, 17 points for Harrison Barnes. And then they got 10 off the bench from Trey Lyles as well. So huge win for the Kings. And I, you know, after they had gotten a tough loss the previous night, I think it was good for them to get um, a win like that. Um, we have a few more of the high scoring notes from Wednesday night to get to in a minute, but for now, let's get to the last main games we're focusing on the two games from last night, Thursday night. And what a doubleheader for TNT! I mean. Unreal action from these two games, starting especially with this game in San Antonio with the visiting Milwaukee Bucks uh edging out a win 125 to 121, your final score. Uh Wembenyama, it's it's worth noting the the previous time the Bucks had played the Spurs, Wembenyama did not play. So this was the first official meeting of Wembenyama against Giannis in a game, and you really couldn't have asked for much more. Uh, from this matchup close game throughout uh, a couple bigger leads for Milwaukee um, in mostly the first half of the game, but uh, still, you know, within 10 points throughout basically the whole game, except for a few moments. Otherwise, Um, how about the stats for the birthday boy, by the way, when Banyama and I share the same birthday, I didn't realize that till yesterday. Um, but yeah, yesterday when Benyama's birthday, 27 points, nine rebounds, five blocks for him on his birthday with a couple of insane highlight dunks. One of them uh, slipping away from Giannis for an off the backboard self oop. And then the other time a back cut for a dunk. He had a, a spinning type dunk. I mean, he just had all these plays that show you why he was a number one overall pick and why he's the future for the Spurs and kind of the present, but he was not the leading scorer though. That was Devin Vassell 34.6 of nine from three Vassell uh, showcasing why he could be a good uh, possibility for a supporting player uh, or a, a co-star for Wembenyama, if you will. Uh, they got 18 from Trey Jones with six assists and then off the bench, 14 points, 10 boards for Keldon Johnson and 13 points for Chetty Osman uh, so Spurs had some nice production in this, but again, the bucks were just led by a little bit more polished, more experienced, uh, forward who himself is a bit of a, a unicorn type players we like to throw out, but he, um, continues to show more and more, even though he's still relatively young, that he's one of the top forwards, um, in league history. I mean, he he's been phenomenal in his career, multi-time MVP, Giannis and Tenacumpo, 44 points, 14 rebounds, seven assists, two steals, and a block, 68% from the floor. And he was two of three from three-point range. Doing it all, he uh powered the Bucks to the victory in the end, along with Damian Lillard, 25 points, 10 assists, by the way. Um, they combined for I think Milwaukee's last 25 points, something to that effect maybe not quite that high of a number, but they had the last several points from Milwaukee to close out to victory. Um, and they kind of needed that because the other guys not stellar in terms of volume is scoring. Um, Chris Middleton, the third leading score for Milwaukee was 12 points, uh, 10 points from Malik Beasley. Otherwise no other double figure scores. So Giannis and Lillard kind of had to have that kind of a night for the bucks to win this game. And they've struggled a bit in their last two or three games. Um, one and two in the week so far, but a big win for them and a statement against the younger Wembenyama, you know, hey, you have a lot of flashes, but this this guy Giannis is, you know, maybe a vision of what you hope Wembenyama's potential can lead to, you know, the type of player he can be in the future with a bit of a stronger stature and a more refined game. Giannis phenomenal in that game, but a, a, a tremendous matchup of the two um, really kind of a treat for us, you know, early in the year. And then to close out last night's action, um, a stunner that I didn't have a chance to watch, uh, unfortunately due to a interesting work schedule the last couple of days. But basically uh, the Denver nuggets keep a recent streak alive of games, uh, they've won against the Golden State Warriors, and they win in Golden State, one thirty to one twenty-seven. Your final score with a Nikola Jokic buzzer-beating game-winning three, and um, back-and-forth game, tied game, and uh, it was a timeout called by the Nuggets with a few seconds left, but the ball had been already inbounded when they called the timeout. So at that point, they had to inbound in the back court. And they only had a handful of seconds. uh, So they inbound Jokic. He dribbles past half court and just lets one fly. Banks in the three to win them the game. A stunner for a game that uh, was back and forth. Nine lead changes. The Warriors led big. I mean, they had one of their signature third quarter runs. And led by as many as 18 points midway through the fourth quarter. So very much a stunner for the hometown crowd for the home team warriors and uh you know they had i mean steph curry led them again 30 points six assists a steal a block five of 12 from three doing all he can but clay thompson had a bit of a vintage game 24 points for him four of 10 from three including i think like three in a row at one point um getting the crowd into it a steal and a block for him as well Jonathan Kaminga, who started, had 16 points, four boards, four assists. However, he did not play much of the second half. Um, Potentially some uh, rumors of him having issues with that kind of a decision. Um, Not really anything definitive, so I'm not going to get too much into that. But they also got 13 off the bench from both Dario Saric and Brandon Puchemski, each of them with 13. Uh, Saric with also seven rebounds, six assists. Um, Pujemski, three of four from three point range, and then 11 points off the bench as well for Andrew Wiggins. Um, not terrible, you know, some solid offense from those guys. Again, it's the weird, you know, bench in some ways was brighter than some of the starters. Um, the weird conundrum of the Warriors this season, but for the Nuggets, uh, Nicole Jokic 34 points, 10 assists, nine rebounds, just shy of a triple double, but also two steals and a block. He was 81% from the floor. Um, shooting that's pretty phenomenal and then Aaron Gordon great as well 30 points nine rebounds in this game two of four from three uh Jokic two of two on his three-point attempts and then Jamal Murray 25 points six assists uh 50 percent from the floor one of six from three but still a great game Uh those guys all three of those guys Gordon Jokic and Murray combined for uh what is that uh 20 of 23, I believe, from the free throw line. Uh so pretty good free throw numbers there. And then 19 off the bench from Peyton Watson. I like to see that. That's kind of what we've been talking about with the bench struggles. Um, see, you know, you need one of the younger guys to start to step up and, and fill a role. And Watson's doing that as a, a, a bigger uh yeah, I mean six, seven, 200 two hundred pound, you know small forward, maybe complain about the power forward a little bit, but hitting out hitting some three point shots, two of four from three, um, being able to do that off the bench with Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, and then a veteran like uh DeAndre Jordan. I think that's gonna help their bench a little bit, but there's still some issues there for me. Um but I don't know. It's interesting. Bigger takeaway, I guess two teams, two recent champions that have some Questions about their teams up to this point in the season. Uh, Warriors may be a bit more severe than the Nuggets, but Nuggets a big question mark with the, the bench. Nuggets come out on top. Did either of those questions necessarily get answered? Um, yes and no. I think Nuggets answered some questions, but the Warriors maybe opened up a new question with uh, Jonathan Kaminga, and we'll have to see if anything really comes of that. But for the moment, great win for the Nuggets, and those are the five games that we wanted to focus on a little bit more in detail um, real quick let's run through <clears throat> the remainder of the matchups from tuesday wednesday and thursday to see what else we might have missed from tuesday uh, the 76ers won at home against the chicago bulls 110-97 uh, in that game that extended uh, joel and bead's 30.10 rebound uh, game streak to 14 straight games Uh, accomplishing that only Kareem and Wilt have had longer streaks. So great job to him. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans won at home against the Brooklyn Nets, 112 to 85. The Memphis Grizzlies won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 106 to 98. The Charlotte Hornets won in Sacramento against the Kings, 111 to 104. Again, that's that tough loss that preceded the win against the magic for the Kings, but the Hornets had ended uh, an 11 game losing streak with that win on Tuesday. So, uh, that was the the longest losing streak at, in the NBA at that time. But now, uh, I think the longest losing streaks only a handful of games. So, not any huge losing streaks at this moment. Uh, and then finally, the Warriors won at home against the Orlando Magic on uh, Tuesday night, one twenty-one to one fifteen. Curry with thirty-six points in that game. Um, that's your Tuesday night other games on Wednesday. Uh, the Indiana Pacers won at home against the Milwaukee Bucks, 142 to 130 your final. Halliburton, 31 points, 12 assists in that game. Um <clears throat> over his last five games, Halliburton has an assist-to-turnover ratio of 76 assists, seven turnovers. That is the best turnover ratio or assist-to-turnover ratio since turnovers began being tracked in the 78 season. Um he continues to be record book worthy with the assists and low turnovers like to see that for Halliburton. The Cleveland Cavaliers won at home against the Washington Wizards 140 to 101 your final. Um the Atlanta Hawks upset the Thunder 141 to 138 at home. That's what I was talking about the the Thunder numbers that was before this game. So uh Thunder now uh one game losing streak I suppose but Uh, overcoming SGA's 33 points, 13 rebounds and eight assists. The Hawks pull out the win and Jalen Johnson had a career high 28 points. I believe in this game, let me double check that before I misread the stats. Uh, Yes. 28 points career high for Jalen Johnson. So that's great for him. Uh, The New Orleans Pelicans won in Minnesota against the Timberwolves, 117 to one Oh six overcoming Anthony Edwards, 35 points statement win for New Orleans. Um, Against one of the top teams, the top team so far in the West, the Timberwolves. The Toronto Raptors won in Minnesota, uh in Memphis against the Grizzlies, one sixteen to one eleven. Uh, your final score there. Um, the Houston Rockets won at home against the Brooklyn Nets, one twelve to one hundred one. Alperen Sengun with thirty points in that game. Dallas Mavericks won at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 126-97. to Luca with 41 points. He leads the league in 40-plus point games, seven of those games so far this season. Uh, the New York Knicks won in primetime at home against the Chicago Bulls, 116-100. to Jalen Brunson with 31 points, 13 assists. The LA Clippers won in Phoenix against the Suns, 131-122. to Booker and Paul George, each with 30 points dueling for their respective teams. And then finally, the Miami Heat won in Los Angeles against the Lakers 110 to 96. Anthony Davis 29 points, 17 rebounds in the loss for the Lakers. Um, that's your remaining action from that Wednesday night that had the crazy offense. And that's the other games we didn't have a chance to talk about. Uh with that, we'll go ahead and segue into our key news for just a moment. Um transactional note the New York Knicks have signed guard Dwayne Washington Jr. to a two-way contract um and the Golden State Warriors uh well that's our only transaction the Golden State Warriors is an injury update guard Gary Payton II second will miss several weeks with a left hamstring strain um which is devastating he had recently got back from a calf injury and now he's out again with uh that hamstring injury so we definitely want to wish him the best as he works to recover from that injury um For the Brooklyn Nets, they were fined recently, $100,000 fine uh, for violating the NBA's player participation policy. This is a big talking point going into the season, Um, and we've seen one, maybe two instances where it's been instigated, and now again, it's coming up here. The investigation reportedly found that four Nets rotation players could have played in December 27th, the December 27th contest versus the Milwaukee Bucks at home. Um, but they did not play. I think there was a quote from Joe Dumars where he said something along the lines of, uh, when you rest that many players in a game, that's immediately going to get the league's attention in regards to that policy. And so they were found to have rested players when, hey, they could have played in that game. So uh, they got a big fine uh, of $100,000. For a, a, the team aspect, of course, um, it's not the same as you know maybe you and me. You get fined $100,000. It's kind of crazy to think about uh, the amounts of money that get, um, you know, fines get handed down. And, and to me, life-changing kind of money in, in one lump sum. But that's besides the point. Um, news for the Oklahoma City, or actually, sorry, news for the Orlando Magic. I'm reading ahead a little bit too much. News for the Orlando Magic. Uh, they've announced they're going to be, uh, they're planning to retire Shaquille O'Neal's 32 uh, in the Magic Rafters. A bit of a surprise that I hadn't already been done but not as surprising when you realize the magic this will be their first uh, jersey that they've retired in their franchise's history um, so hard to think of a player more deserving in terms of uh, the first star for the magic but also one of their greatest players ever that led them to the finals um, one of the great players in nba history one of the greatest players in nba history so certainly well-deserved. That'll be happening at a post-game ceremony February 13th uh, after their home game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that game will be on TNT. uh, So you'll be able to check it out there uh, as a national broadcast. Um, And speaking of retirement, but this on the player front, not the player jersey number, but um, a small surprise here, um, but we – had gotten an update that maybe this could be happening with, uh, his absence to start the season for this team. Ricky Rubio announced his retirement yesterday, uh, after 12 seasons in the NBA, uh, as a consequence of that, the Cavaliers are going to buy out his contract, um, report from Woj, I think said that if he continues to play professionally at any level, it'll be internationally, um, back in Spain, his home country. So, um, it's tough, you know, he announced, um, uh, either he or the team, or both, announced that they would he wouldn't be with the team to start the season, um, as he was dealing with mental health issues, um, and you know, props to him for for being so, um, forward about that. Um, I think he said in part of his retirement announcement that he wants to, uh, speak a little bit more about that and and give some background as to what exactly that situation was, um, you know. Not really a requirement. He doesn't have to do that, but that could be helpful, I think, to people if, uh, if that was a story that he wanted to share. Um, but I, more importantly, I think we're just going to miss him in the league. You know, a fun player in terms of, but, oh, excuse me, the playmaking. Um, that was the excitement uh, that made him a high draft choice, and he's brought that in various moments. Of course, for me as a Jazz fan, I'm going to miss him. Uh, a few great years especially his first year in Utah and that was also Donovan Mitchell's rookie year and they had that Cinderella second round appearance in the playoffs um, you know I will always have a great love and respect for Ricky Rubio um, for his jazz tenure but also his NBA career as a whole we're definitely going to miss him uh, tough retirement there but definitely good that he's looking out for for him and and uh, what's going to be best uh, on that front so Wishing him the best in retirement and uh, just sad to see him go Um, to wrap up our news. Let's go ahead and talk about some NBA specific news. Firstly, uh, the first returns first fan returns uh, in the voting front for the all-star game have uh, been announced Uh, voting opened up just a few weeks ago and not really any big surprises to read through it. Not uh, anything kind of jumping out too much. Uh, LeBron and Giannis leading the voting in their respective conferences Um, Luca leads the guards in the west Tyrese Halliburton leads the guards in the east Um, certainly going to be well deserving Uh, you imagine he will likely be named a uh, all-star starter in the east with the season he's had so far Uh, Steph Curry second in the west Shagels Alexander third in the west you gotta think that he should have been in terms of best seasons Curry's still great but the winning the Thunder had, maybe if you have a perfect voting, he could have been ahead of Curry, but Curry, of course, still the more popular player and he's not undeserving of that type of vote. Um, Otherwise, Austin Reeves 10th in guards uh, out of guards in the West, not a huge surprise. I like Reeves, but um, that's just more of a fan favorite pick rather than, the season he's had he's coming off the bench hasn't had huge numbers um but he's still been an effective player i just don't mean I, I just don't think he's been all-star level um and i that's too big of a stretch alprin Changoon seventh in the west front court voting i think he should get in there um and then two rookies at eight and nine Wembanyama at eight and holmgren at nine uh in the west front court voting um not too big of a surprise either both those guys out uh are leading the vote. They have more votes than, uh, Palo Bancaro, who was 10th in the Eastern conference front court. Um, I think one of those three guys will be named an all-star. Um, and more likely it'd be Palo Bancaro, actually for the season. The magic have had, um, I think that's probably going to happen, but otherwise, um, nothing too crazy from these returns. These are a lot of the top players in the NBA right now. Um, definitely make sure you're voting, uh, so you have a little bit of a, a chance to influence the outcome, but otherwise let's get to our last news item. And for that, we're talking about the, uh, monthly awards starting with the coaches of the month, um, in the Eastern conference, Joe Missoula In the Western conference, Tehran Liu. um, Lou with an 11 and two record Missoula with a 12 and two record. Uh, those are both for the month of December. So congratulations to those guys, uh, NBA coaches of the month. Your Rookies of the Month uh, in the East for the Miami Heat, Hame Jr., 16 points per game, uh, about four rebounds per game, and nearly three assists per game. Uh, he's been very solid. And then in the West, uh, not Wenbanyama, it's Chet Holmgren uh, for the Oklahoma City Thunder, 17 points per game, nearly eight rebounds per game, and three and a half blocks per game. For Holmgren, congratulations to both those guys for the NBA Rookies of the Month honor. And finally, your Players of the Month in the East, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Milwaukee Bucks, 32.5 points per game, 11.5 rebounds per game, 7 assists, and 11-2 record. And then Shea just alexander your Player of the Month in the West, 32 points per game, 6.5 assists, 3 steals per game, and a 10-3 record for the Thunder in that month. Uh, all these guys well-deserving definitely the Thunder getting props with uh, a couple of votes there. Um, But the, you know, Thunder well-deserving of that. And those two players, especially well-deserving. So congratulations to all of those named for those honors. Uh, They've all done uh, a tremendous job and are deserving of uh, those honors. But with that being said, let's go ahead and uh, move on to the rest of the show. We've got kind of caught up on the most recent action. And now we're going to focus on one franchise in particular, And that, of course, means we're jumping into our um, franchise focus. A little bit redundant, but besides the point. Let's go ahead and get it started. Franchise focus. (laughs) Okay, and yes, our franchise focus this week. Last week, we talked about the Indiana Pacers. And again, this season so far, we're doing alphabetical by uh, city name rather than uh, mascot name, uh, which we did the previous season. Uh, But this season, we're doing city name. And that means today we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, Next week, we'll talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. But uh, Los Angeles Clippers, this time on franchise focus. And of course, we start with the current team, the direction of the team, what the outlook is. And um, not much has changed from last season in terms of the general outlook. You're a team that has all-star talent and the talent was brought in in hopes of being able to win a championship at some point. I mean, they're they're aiming to contend. Um, the last couple of seasons have been a little bit more rocky um, with injury-related questions for the Clippers and, uh, you know, shake-up trades that brought in other stars and, um, They left with uh, only, you know, they made the playoffs last year, but missed it the season prior lost in the first round this last season. Um, And that was a bit of a drop off from 2020 and 2021 when they uh, had a chance to contend in the West and they lost in the Western conference finals in 2021 to the Phoenix suns. Um, Paul George powered them, especially in that series. Um, Kawhi Leonard, a big part of both of those, uh, seasons, of course, Leonard, maybe a a touch of a higher, uh, star level. Um, so that takes us to this season. And so far they're 21 and 12, a 63 and a half win percentage, which would be, uh, which is the nearest they've gotten to that 2021 season, uh, since that season happened, so they're a lot closer to that track. And uh, this season has been no different in terms of making big moves for big stars. Of course, they had the midseason trade or, or early season trade, uh, uh, November, to bring in James Harden to go along with Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and now Westbrook, who's become a sixth man like he was uh, the previous season with the Lakers. And um, it's been working out well so far. I mean we've talked about they were on a win streak um they their coach was named the coach of the month for December and they've been vaulting themselves into a top mix in the west so things have been going well for Kawhi about 24 and a half points per game six boards three and a half assists efficient um playing the most minutes of anyone on the team Paul George uh right there with him 23 points per game five and a half rebounds four assists those guys averaging about one and a half steals as well, as is James Harden, who's also grabbed uh scoring about 17.7 points per game, eight assists, five rebounds. All of these guys pretty efficient from the floor, especially Kawhi, And then Westbrook off the bench, able to give you uh 11, 12 points a game, uh, six rebounds, four and a half assists, a steal as well. Uh the percentages, of course, he struggles from three, but otherwise uh not bad. And that star power combined with the rotation guys, Zubots, giving you nearly 10 rebounds and a block and a half per game. Terrence Mann starting, uh, who can who can hit some shots, although he struggled early in the season. And then you have bench scoring with Norman Powell, who shoots about 45% from three, averaging about 13 points a game so far this season, uh, off the bench. Um, you have Tice now and Mason Plumley. Plumley returning from injury soon if he hasn't already. And those guys give you some inside rebounding presence. They have, um, I believe, uh, yeah, they, they have Bones Highland still, backup point guard with some scoring potential. PJ Tugger, the veteran who hasn't quite fit into the lineup, but still they've got plenty of guys. They've got some depth, they've got scoring. Um, you maybe like a touch more of a, a defensive focus Uh, but george and leonard give you a lot of that in the starting lineup so it's not as um necessary of an it's not as immediate of a need i should say um so things are looking really great for the clippers i mean this is a a great chance for them to uh fully solidify themselves as hey we are in this contention uh period of our our franchise the only issue would be the long-term nature of george and leonard they're not super old guys yet. I mean, Paul George, 33, maybe in a few years going to start to be on kind of the downturn uh, the next couple of seasons. And then Kawhi 32, not too far behind. So, so they're, they're in a good spot. I mean, those guys aren't too old. Um The window is not enormous. It's going to be four or five years and these guys are going to be maybe towards the tail end of their careers. So there's an urgency there. And it's a similar story with with Westbrook and, and Harden, you know, even more so with those guys. They're a little bit older. Um, but you know, you like their chances to to be a contending team for the next few seasons. There's not really much more other than just making sure the roster's balanced. Ty Lu has more than proven himself to be a very good coach, um, proven me wrong multiple times on that front. And you gotta like their direction. You know, and it's a far cry if we're gonna to transition to uh you know the the next part of the franchise focus. There's not much more I can add. Clippers look really good right now, uh despite early concerns, and especially after the hardened trade, they struggled a lot, but they've rebounded in a big way and they look really good. Um but again, you look at the franchise's history, this has not been a tremendously winning squad. I mean, even with the recent seasons where they've been Uh, winning a good amount of games and even, you know, early 2010s in a different era with Blake Griffin and those type of teams, you know, uh, this last 10 to 15 years where the Clippers have really been a a very competitive squad in the NBA's history, they still only have a 42% winning percentage for their franchise's history. So many lost years from really the last couple of years in Buffalo as the Braves, 1976, to about 2011. they made the playoffs only four times in that span um they had several awful seasons in that time um but uh the team I want to talk about was an outlier and maybe a team that you could have seen would only be a a couple of year blip on the radar um but that is the, early nineties Los Angeles Clippers, the 90 1992 Los Angeles Clippers to be exact, a team that won 45 games and was able to slip into the playoffs and break a playoff drought. That was about 15 years long at that point. I think Um, they hadn't made the playoffs since 1976 um, where the team lost in the conference semifinals and had an MVP caliber player in Bob McAdoo more on him in just a moment. But um he had a huge playoff drought, and they make the playoffs with three different head coaches in the year and a roster that was very intriguing. And that's really the uh, one of the big reasons I chose this team was they had uh, some talent that was exciting. They had a number one overall pick in Danny Manning, who was a, a combo forward in some ways, not a great shooter from three-point range, but a great scorer um, inside, maybe more James Worthy than... Um, than anything but 19 points per game seven rebounds three and a half assists defensively one and a half steals and blocks so the defensive impact and then combine that with a defensive guard in ron harper a very underrated player who could score and average 18 points a game about five and a half rebounds five assists but two steals one block defensively could lock down you have a rookie Charles Smith who missed a lot of time with injury, but when he played was still promising. Uh, or sorry, not rookie, fourth year. Why was I think he was a rookie? He was still fairly young. Um, but fourth year Charles Smith, who would give you about 14 and a half points per game, six rebounds. Um, so the wings and your power forward and all that were were very were pretty young. Harper was getting a bit older, but that was still an exciting core. And then you add a veteran point guard in Doc Rivers, um, who started a lot of the time and was a former all-star, and he was a great assist guy, uh, combined with an underrated point guard in Gary Grant. Both those guys combining to run the point uh, got things done for the Clippers. And then inside you have Olden Polynese, who was a, a decent starting center. It's I'm not saying that this team was... Immensely star powered, but it's just very interesting in terms of, you know, the struggles of the Clippers for much of the 80s, 90s and 2000s um, that they had, you know, some a roster here that you feel like could have been a consistent, you know, seventh, eighth seed in the Western Conference. Ken Norman as well, who had been a uh, somewhat approaching all star. Maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but he was a very solid rotation player. Um, at various points in his career. I mean, one year, uh, he averaged 18 points a game with eight rebounds um, a little bit earlier in his career. Loy Vaught, uh younger forward, who was uh, versatile. They had a veteran, James Edwards. They had Bo Kimble from those um, Paul Westhead coached um, Loyal Marymount teams. So there was a lot to like about this squad, and it's just interesting three head coaches in a season is usually a recipe for uh, 30 or less wins and no playoffs, but they win 45 games and make it to the playoffs because that third coach they hired for the last uh, 35 games happened to be Larry Brown, a future hall of fame head coach who had already won a national championship in the NCAA tournament college tournament a few seasons prior with one Danny Manning at Kansas. And so he gets brought on after he, uh resigned uh from the Spurs coaching gig just a few weeks prior in that same season and uh they win 23 of their last 35 games to uh finish strong and make it to the playoffs to end the drought and they lose in five games to the Jazz and then it's over and that that's true of so many teams um but it was just interesting to to note this team. And it's also interesting to note this because of the, the relevance to the rivalry with the Lakers, the fellow Los Angeles team. This was the first time the Clippers finished with a better record than the Lakers. um, At least when they were in Los Angeles. I don't know if that ever happened when um, the team was in Buffalo as the Braves, but um, I mean, the Lakers were 43 and 39 that year. And I know that was the year that Magic Johnson was um, stepped away from basketball with the uh, HIV diagnosis, but was um, still, great. You know, it was it's a very interesting note for a Clippers team, and important that they were able to break the drought. And then you look at what they did after that, and they went forty-one and forty-one the next season with Larry Brown in the head coach role full time um they traded doc Hart, doc rivers for mark jackson um kind of a, a net neutral i suppose um they lose olden Polynes to the pistons in free agency uh, or actually a trade rather another trade um and then they're just not as solid in their their lineup the next season following that they start making some some moves for star players. Uh, it was the 94 season that they brought in Dominique Wilkins, the previous year, 93, they had Kiki Vandaway. They start going for the names and That's a, a fault that teams can get into sometimes with acquiring players after they've passed their prime, uh, for either, uh, you know, a box office appeal, or maybe even they think that they actually still can produce at that level. um, but this team, this snapshot, they had a, a producing veteran center in James Edwards. They had um, Doc Rivers as a veteran point guard to steady them, along with Gary Grant at point guard. And then Harper and Manning is an interesting combo. And again, it's fun that Larry Brown is able to coach his college standout um, to a college championship and then later on coach him in the pros and lead him into the playoffs um, with the Clippers and break a drought. And uh, that's a significant moment in their franchise history. You know, I think it's worth noting, even if they lost a close series against the Jazz early in the playoffs. But interesting to note. And if you want to talk about interesting players, intriguing players, and certainly players ahead of their time, our player that we're talking about is we alluded to him earlier, Bob McAdoo. Um, what can you say about Bob McAdoo? I mean, six nine. 210 center gets listed a lot of times as power forward. Maybe he he could have played power forward and, and did in some rotations at moments, but he was um, definitely more of a, a center. I mean, that was his, his position and he was nothing else, but a star as a center. You look at his, um, I mean, he played four and a half seasons or four and a a fourth seasons in Buffalo with the Braves. Again, that's where the Clippers began was in Buffalo um, as the Braves before they moved to uh, San Diego to become the Clippers, which then later moved to Los Angeles. But his four and a half seasons in Buffalo, 28 points per game, 12.7 rebounds, two and a half assists two and a half blocks and one steal the, the volume of numbers that he put up were, was phenomenal. Um And he, uh his second season, which was the 74 year, that's the last time a player has averaged 30 points and 15 rebounds per game. And he's kind of the last of when you think of names like Wilt Chamberlain and, uh, Nate Thurmond and Bill Russell and the high rebounding numbers. And especially with Chamberlain um high scoring numbers, Dave Cowens maybe gets in there sometimes, or, um you know, some of those other names, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but Ma- McAdoo was the last to have this high scoring and ultra high rebounding numbers before uh some of those numbers, numbers started to taper off a little bit as, um, the league in the 80s, it was still very high scoring, but more and more through the 80s and especially into the 90s defense picked up a lot more or maybe the 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 gap between the best team player on a team and worst player on a team narrowed whatever you want to point to. Um, he's just kind of one of those, you know, noteworthy checkpoints on that road of of averages for some of those type of stats and, and what it means, what it means in different eras to be a dominant scorer, a dominant rebounder, um, all those type of things. Um, he made five all-star games, uh, five all-star appearances. One of them technically with New York, uh, well, one with New York and then one technically as a Nick, even though he was a Buffalo uh, with the Braves for the first portion of that season. Um, he was a league MVP in 1975. He averaged 34.5 points per game, 14 rebounds and two blocks uh, in that season. Um, I mean, there's any number of stats you can point to. I think it is interesting also noting his draft situation. Firstly, he was, it was at a time where the ABA still existed and there was rumblings that he had been drafted in a secret draft, quote unquote. Um, and if came out later that he in fact was, that he was drafted number one overall in the ABA's draft, um, but he didn't sign with any ABA teams, even though the NBA's commissioner warned teams don't draft him or maybe you know think about drafting him because there's reports he might have signed with the ABA. Interesting to intervene like that, but he, he went with the NBA, but he could have gone with the number one pick uh, to the Portland Trailblazers but there's reports that he didn't um mesh with the Blazers on contract talks at a time where that kind of thing wasn't you know regulated by a, a CBA or or set by a CBA those were kind of just player to player team to team um there wasn't a specific number to each position and things like that so um those talks broke down, and so the Blazers instead went with LaRue Martin, who is an infamous name, one of the more uh, egregious draft busts, if you will, uh, Who, despite a great college career. Uh, health was an issue, but he just was not a great factor for the Blazers. But then second pick, the Braves pick up McAdoo, who goes on to be a phenomenal center. And, and the big thing that you'll probably hear about when people talk about McAdoo, and this is – you know a signature for him is he was ahead of his time as far as a center that could stretch the floor um certainly not three-point range but he was comfortable in uh you know close to medium range shooting jump jump shots and those type of things um that along with the the rebounding and defense of the center and scoring inside as well um just an underrated player um you Know maybe a forgotten MVP for some, but he's a, to me he certainly deserved that, and he continued to be a great player for New York as well. Um, basically two seasons, uh, split across a, a few different years and seasons, still scoring about you know 25 a game, uh, 10, 11 rebounds per game in that span. Um, after that, he goes to Boston to close out the 79 season, is productive, uh, for that team, I think. Uh, starting probably a good chunk of those type of games uh, the year before Larry Bird gets there. Then he goes to Detroit for a season and a bit, Uh, goes to New Jersey, um, doesn't play much in the 81 year. So bounces around a bit. You wonder if maybe his career is tapering off, and then he lands himself in Los Angeles with the Lakers um, and spends four seasons with the Lakers, wins a championship or two, I believe two championships. It looks like yeah. 85 and 82 with the Lakers wins two championships as a reserve big man. And this is where you get the, the showtime Lakers and people talk about how stacked they were. The 82 Lakers had McAdoo. And of course, you know, Jabbar and magic are the stars of those teams. Uh, Um, jamal wilkes still there michael cooper kurt rambis um i want to say there was a year where they had spencer haywood as well but that might be stretching it too much yeah no i think spencer haywood was on those teams maybe closer to the late 70s um 1980 no he was on the the first championship with magic but Regardless, those teams, that's a forgotten aspect of those teams. Yes, Magic and Kareem, and they had a great rotation, and Pat Riley, but they also were able to get star players who would fill you know, reserve roles in their closing years, Haywood and, and McAdoo and those type of guys. Um, so he wins a couple championships with the Lakers, um, certainly deserving of those, spends his last season in the NBA with the Philadelphia 76ers, um, and then it goes to have a storied international career as well. Um he is what's the stat with that? He's one of f- a few players who have won both an NBA championship and the uh FIBA European Champions Cup uh Euroleague um title. And then he goes on to be an assistant coach with the Miami Heat for their three championships. Um just not much he hasn't done in the realm of basketball, especially as a player championships in multiple countries, multiple leagues, um, different roles, different awards, different teams. He's been around basketball in all sorts of ways. Um, and one of my favorites, I really enjoy Bob McAdoo and his style um, and his, his part of, of seventies basketball, which to me is one of my favorite eras. I love the seventies style and the, the two, the two leagues, my favorite player, Pete Maravich played in the seventies and McAdoo is one of my kind of favorites as well. It um, gets forgotten as a Clipper uh, as well, because of course he wasn't really a Clipper. He was a, a Buffalo brave, um, but that's part of the Clippers franchise history. So he's in this weird spot, but uh felt like we definitely had to talk about him. I haven't had a chance to talk about McAdoo in too much detail um, and just one of the greats and a great player for a franchise that is now completely different than when he was there, but a great player nonetheless. And that's how we're going to wrap things up for our franchise focus for the Clippers. Um, With that, let's go ahead and shift gears for our last few segments. And we'll go ahead and talk about our fantasy Fridays portion of the episode. Okay, we've rambled about the Clippers and, and the Braves and all that for far too long. Uh, let's check what's going on with fantasy basketball. And I can tell you what, it pays to be active and actually paying attention uh, because the guy that we were talking about, Wyatt and I were talking about, that makes a million moves in our league is nine and one, um, by far leading the league. So there's that. Um, my team is four and six. Not the worst team in the league, not the best either. Wyatt is 7-3, and three, so he's one of the better teams. I think he's third best. So um, I could definitely do well with keeping my lineups more up to date, um, and I mean to do that, of course, when I'm working on podcast stuff. It's easy to to have that in mind and, and be able to make those updates, but um, especially where we've been a little bit off on our scheduling for the podcast, I haven't been able to do as much with it, but um, it is what it is. Um, oh, and our second place guy has also made some moves from time to time. So, um, you know what? I, I don't know if I can make any more trade proposals. I've made like a few that I thought were very good to Wyatt and he has just shot me down on a number of occasions. So I might have to see if our second place guy who is active in the league, uh, if he'll look to make a move, cause I'm just, I just want to make something I need, feel like I need to make some sort of move to bring new energy to my team. Um, cause otherwise we're just kind of stagnant. I feel like we're going to finish the year at 500, which isn't terrible, but, um, I'd like to be, I have a chance to win a championship or whatever. Cause I'm in the championship round in my, my football fantasy league. And, uh, that's spread over two weeks and it's the final week of the season. Um, This weekend. So that's going to determine all that. I'll have to let you guys know what happens there. Um, Not that it's certainly it's not really that relevant to this podcast, but what is relevant is uh, some thoughts on some players that are kind of moving up and down um, over the last couple of weeks. And we're gonna start with the riser. Paolo Bencaro is my pick for this one. Um, His scoring has been up in a big way, Um, even though the magic have fallen off a touch. You know, I think that's where they're going to try and lean on him, even though he's a bit of a younger player. He's the closest thing they have to a star. And he, again, in my mind, if you're talking about him and the rookies, when Weminyama and Holmgren, Bancaro is the closest to an all-star right now in terms of the consistent production, the mature level of play, the maturity in his play, and the winning of the magic, even though they've struggled lately. So I would say Bankero, is someone to watch for, they lean on him more to try and win games. He had a clutch moment against the Kings. Um, couldn't quite do enough in double overtime to win it, but just watch out for him to maybe continue to make big steps forward in a sophomore season, uh, for the magic, a faller. We're going with one of the all-time greats, LeBron James, and he hasn't even dropped off that much in production. Um, about uh a point less per game one and a half rebounds less uh, half a steal less it, it's not so much LeBron and I really don't mean to pin this on him it's just more watch his stats bit compared to what's going on with the Lakers the Lakers have struggled in recent weeks um you know the big loss in Minnesota with the 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 two point three point call um toe on the line all that stuff you know the Lakers just are not gelling at the moment um they're losing more than they're winning lately and uh there's maybe some concern for darvin ham head coach um i will say if there's a coaching change regardless of whether it's the right or wrong move um and whether the new coach if that were to happen would be the right or wrong coach for that situation um expect numbers to go up for lebron in that case because there's kind of that um, feeling of, we'll we'll show that it's the right move or or whatever that case is, you know. Um, that would just be my instinct. I feel like those numbers might go up. But for the moment, just be keep an eye on LeBron and the Lakers and what goes on there because it hasn't been completely awful like it was two seasons ago. But it's not as exciting and, you know, positive and upward trajectory as it was last year. Um, just some concerns for the Lakers. And then finally, a sleeper. Had to go with him, especially after what I saw two nights ago. Bayon Bogdanovich for the Pistons. Um, his scoring is up about a point per game. His rebounding's up in a big way, two and a half rebounds more per game over the last couple of weeks, and then one and a half more assists per game. Um again, the Pistons are a team that feels that they've been, you know, they they kind of just hit a rough patch at the wrong time. Things just didn't quite click and they don't feel that they're deserving of that kind of a losing streak. So I feel like they're going to be on a mission to rectify that, to start stringing some more wins together. And Bogdanovich is going to have to be a big part of that now that he's a lot more healthy than he was earlier in the year. And those are just some picks, some very uneducated thoughts on some movers in the fantasy space. Um, With that, we haven't checked it on predictions for a little bit. So let's scroll back and see what we might be able to chime in on from past predictions, um, talking about the Pistons, there was something I had said about Cade Cunningham might be a trade target for teams and the Pistons might trade some players. Um, since they've won, that hasn't really been on my mind and, um, it hasn't come up for really any other reason. So not much there. Um, Wyatt predicted a few weeks ago that the Warriors will make a big splash before the trade deadline, trading one of the three, um, you know, original dubs. Um, we'll have to see if anything like that happens. I predicted Palab and Carol will make his first all-star game this season. That'll be on watch as well. Um, Let's see what I'll say to Keontae George prediction. That's a little too early to say on the specifics specifics for that. Uh, Kuzma is part of a trade deadline move. Um. I was dead on with my week six prediction for the Pacers being in the finals of the in-season tournament. But, yeah, a lot of things that are kind of waiting on the trade deadline. We've been really uh, fixated on that. And, of course, that will continue to be a talking point as we uh, head towards February. But with that, that's most of what we have. We'll go ahead and wrap things up. Firstly, with our weekend forecast. And again, the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time. So keep that in mind as you're uh, planning your schedules for which games you might want to check out. On Saturday, tomorrow, there's only four games, no national broadcasts. Um, At 7 o'clock, you have both the Wizards hosting the Knicks and also the Pacers hosting the Celtics. Bit of a rematch of that uh, in-season tournament game. So interesting there. At 7.30, the 76ers host the Utah Jazz uh, that's on local access only, so Jazz Plus or KJazz if you live in Utah, uh, local cable TV. Um, yeah, for the Jazz, just to touch on that again, tonight they're, of course, playing the Celtics. Uh, Saturday, tomorrow, they're playing the 76ers, and then uh, either, I think there's a later game. Yeah, Monday, they're playing the Bucks, so they're, over the next three games, playing the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. That's going to be a big challenge for a team that's just starting to get some positive momentum. Um, And then at eight o'clock, the Rockets will host those Milwaukee Bucks uh, in Houston. So that's your Saturday games on Sunday, nine games total. Again, no national broadcasts, a bit of a matinee to start at one o'clock. The Cleveland Cavaliers host the uh, San Antonio Spurs. And then at three, the Brooklyn Nets host the Portland Trailblazers. Then a little later on at six, the Sacramento Kings host the New Orleans Pelicans. That's an intriguing one. Uh, Two teams, just upward trajectory in the Western Conference. Uh, Also at six, the Orlando Magic host the Atlanta Hawks in a Southeast Division matchup. At 7.30, the Dallas Mavericks host the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. That is also intriguing. Luca versus Anthony Edwards and uh, that whole kind of a thing. So. I would be very interested to watch that game. Uh, At 8 o'clock, a couple of games at 8, the Suns host the Grizzlies in Phoenix, and then the Denver Nuggets host the Detroit Pistons. At 8.30, the Golden State Warriors host the Toronto Raptors in a rematch of that 2019 Finals series. Um, A lot of different players, but still. Uh, 9.30, Battle of Los Angeles. The Lakers host the Clippers uh, in a very intriguing one, especially with the Lakers struggling and the Clippers doing well. Uh, Those two teams sometimes very much in in, uh, a yin and yang of each other, one doing well, the other doing bad. Um, At this point, it's the Clippers doing better, but we'll see what happens on Sunday night. And then Monday, six games. There is one national broadcast. It's on NBA TV at 1030, where the Clippers will host the Suns uh, in a rematch of a recent final series or a conference final series, rather. Your remaining games, at 7 o'clock, the Wizards host the Thunder and the Pacers host the Celtics again, not to mention the Hornets hosting the Bulls. Uh, so intriguing games there, especially, you know, Celtics Pacers back to back in Indianapolis. And then at 730, the uh, Miami Heat hosts the Houston Rockets. Um, for some reason, I was about to say um, homecoming for Fred Van Vliet, but of course, he didn't play for the Heat, played for the Raptors regardless interesting game miami and houston and then at eight o'clock uh the bucks hosting the utah jazz like we talked about again local access utah jazz plus or um k jazz if you are local in utah for your cable tv so there's some intriguing games but i think we're going to have some uh some more action picking up uh during the week this next week um there's still some interesting stuff to check out this weekend uh, but with that that's the bulk of the show Our final segment, or a quick note on our This Day in History fact. For this one, we're going back to 1962. Uh, January 5th of 1962, Wilt Chamberlain of the Philadelphia Warriors at that time began a streak of 47 consecutive complete games, which is an NBA record. Playing every minute of those games, uh, I don't think that'll ever be broken, um, especially with recent trends. But, I mean, player participation policy, I feel like that's bumped up um, well participation, but minutes maybe have gone to touchdown as a consequence of that, but still phenomenal record uh, for one of the all-time greats. And that's it for today's show. I want to thank everyone again for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your support and we're, we've made it. We're back to our normal schedule. Uh, we of course will be back on Monday for our normal Monday segments Uh, you know, wrapping up the weekend's action, we'll give you our weekly uh, power rankings, our MVP, all that good stuff. Um, But that's our next show for now. I'll just say thanks again for listening. And we'll be back with you on Monday.